Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the front seat of a green Cadillac here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today, we're very fortunate to have documentarian, filmmaker, producer, Kirk Fraser. Uh, he did the 30 for 30 Without Bias, which I thought was a, an amazing film. And uh, we're really happy to have you on the podcast, Kirk. Thank you for joining us to talk about this film. Man, I appreciate you guys having me here, man. It's a pleasure. You know, 1999, what a great year. Where were you in 99? Shit. Um, worried about Y2K. That's you right. You know, partying, partying, partying in 1999 like it was the end, because I think that's what a lot of us was really thinking about that really came up in the whole internet and and all that was really popping around that time. So information was really spreading. You know, that was the beginning of information spreading for us. So that Y2K thing really had people shook. You know, had my mom in the grocery store stacking things up. Not knowing <laughs> what was going to happen, you know? Yeah, it was a, it yeah, was a great year. It was a political year, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sure. great films came out that year. Um, great things that covered cultures and all kinds of things, you know? What we've noticed a lot is there was a lot of Y2K anxiety running through all the films of this year. Um, like some were blatant, like about the end of the world. And some were just this kind of like, you know, baseline undergirding of anxiety running through the whole piece. So, yeah, I think we all kind of 
felt that. And I think some people, certainly people who didn't really experience it, don't understand what that felt like to feel there's a pretty good chance the world might not end, but just kind of stop. Yeah, something different. Yeah. We didn't know what to it, expect. It, it, yeah. It, it definitely felt like a... Um, we felt like we were approaching some sort of a precipice, I think, to some degree. I mean, it was just like this this millennium thing, this whole, like, it just, it felt like there was this, um, but it was also kind of exciting, too. I felt like, I don't know about you guys, I was excited about the year 2000. I wasn't all that worried about Y2K, but maybe that's just me. No, I mean, it, it was it was just no one knew what to expect, and then everything was so hyped up, you know, so, and the fear was there, so, and at that point, we were not as much as we are now relying on technology for everything, but damn near that was the start. Mm-hmm. It would have fucked us up pretty good. Oh, right now. Yeah. Shit. Right oh, now, now it would be over. Right now. Now. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah. If they, yeah. yeah. Shit, if back they, then, if we didn't, you remember back then, the only way you got around was by MapQuest and you used to print that shit out. So there was oh, no yeah. GPS in your phone. Yeah. When I, when I moved to LA, I had a Thompson guide. I, physical wow. maps. I used to deliver flowers with a Thompson guide. Thompson guide. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know Shut. they still make those. That's embarrassing. Yeah, they still make them. Yeah, that's. I feel bad for the Thompsons. <laughs> they, you I, know, I feel bad for. I feel bad for all physical people. I feel bad for the Zagat's guide. I feel bad for the Thompson sure. people. Sure, sure, sure. I feel bad for the Yellow Pages. Oh shit! Yeah, Yellow they all had eight days. What about the guy that was selling the encyclopedia? What about him? Oh yeah, Mister yeah. Britannica. That, that was yeah. us. I, I first Google. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was such, a, I was such a dork. I used to sit in the library and read the encyclopedia. Really? Yeah. yeah. Love that. I, I, I yeah. had the luxury of having that shit at home. I never really looked at it till there was a school. Project, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't like read it like a book, but you know, I would read it like I read Wikipedia now, which is you know all of that I read. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about American Pimp, film nineteen ninety nine, uh, directed by the Hughes brothers. Not necessarily known for documentaries, um, they had they had not just done Menace to Society. Uh, where was this in their film? Their filmography. I'm looking film? them up right now. I, I mean, it was it was pretty. I think it was like. Hold on one second. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know this is probably like their third film because you also had that president that came out. You yep. also had, um, you know, menace. You had things like that. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was Menace to Society '93, Dead Presidents '95, and then this in '99, and then From Hell in 2001. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's so then. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, they had two really kind of huge movies. Menace to Society uh-huh. was was kind of paradigm shifting. Uh, they were obviously really hot directors it's an interesting move for uh people who generally do narrative scripted film to move to a um a documentary at this point in their career i wonder what you think uh what you think about that move and and what you think about the east brothers in general i mean i think they're dope i always thought they were dope you know their work has always spoke to the culture in some ways definitely with menace to society i mean that shit was that shit was real in terms of the culture of what people may have went through and felt at that time. And um, American Pimp is, it was a documentary version of the Mac, you know? Mm-hmm. So in, at that point, I mean, people were influenced by the Mac for years. So I could only imagine that they grew up in, in, in that particular part of time. I'm not sure if they're from Oakland or that area, but 
I mean, is heavily out there as well. I mean, plus they always they always rep the culture from from day one. So I wouldn't see why they wouldn't want to do a film that that spoke to the underworld at that time because pimping was changing. You know, um, in terms of it wasn't the old ways because before the drug dealers were the pimps. So, mm-hmm. and that was in the culture of, 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 of the community as well. So you have to understand that. And their mindset were completely different than the hustlers on the corner. And, you know, they, their, their product was a woman the product was sex. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I could, I could only imagine, I never really had a conversation with them or have ever met them before. So I can't really speak to why they did the film, but you know, it definitely spoke to a culture and 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 in general lifestyle. Well, it's an interesting decision to me in that, you know, certainly Menace to Society and Dead Presidents are dealing with certain uh certain aspects of black culture yeah. that basically white people either don't understand, can't understand, or probably shouldn't be making movies about. And uh those both of those films, I think, are pretty incredible films. They could have done a, you know, fictional scripted narrative film about uh, pimps, but I wonder if the legacy of black exploitation and a complete lack of understanding of pimp culture, uh, in white culture at large, maybe in maybe felt maybe maybe made them think they need to first educate before they can kind of put it out there. I mean, I like once again, we need to get them here to sure. really ask them. But <laughs> I can say I and I can only speak from my perspective of, of someone that does documentaries. You got to have a passion for it. You got to have a passion for the story that you want to tell, because it's a different format than writing a script. You know, you're really dealing with facts and you still have to create a story that flows and still connects and still educate and still entertain at the same time and not try to make it come across boring. So with, with American pimp, I mean, they went layers deep into it. It kind of reminded me of HBO had a show called beyond um, the the pint or something like that, or it used to come out real late night. And um, it was like about prostitution and things like that in Jersey. And they kind of went and did the, the digging as well, but it wasn't, the culture that was just predominantly African-American was like the whole world of prostitution. So it had females and it was hearing from their side, but American pimp was only hearing it from a perspective, really from the pimps mm-hmm, and right. the culture that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, you got iceberg slams, you got books, you got all kinds of things that's always been there to educate people on the culture. It's just that, you know, being a tell or creating a documentary, you know, is the visuals of it. And, and you're hearing it directly from the pimps himself. So that form of media became something as well that was available maybe for them to, to tell the film from that standpoint where it's more real than it actually being a scripted film, that you're hearing it from these guys that, I mean, I remember going out and seeing pimps. Shit, I lived in a block where prostitution was there for years and probably mm-hmm. still is. You know, so I seen it. I seen the culture of it. I mean, I mean, I did a project on on stripping, you know, because damn near that's the level before you go to prostitution in some in which ways, you know. So I understood the culture. Like I was in a strip club. I saw it. I was like, fuck, this is a story that needs to be told. 
So mm -hmm. you surround yourself with the elements of it. And then when you look at their films, definitely that one, I mean, they interview these guys. So the credits show that they actually held the camera and one of the brothers actually did the audio. So it was yeah. a dual tool do two guys just in the field doing it and they probably came back and like shit look at this footage we got let's put something together because sometimes that's how it yeah. just starts it starts with just two people having a conversation the camera breaks out we start rolling and it's like this is interesting let's keep going next thing you know you talk to two more people you look at something you see that you have something there now you go layers into it and start telling the different stories or the cultures of it. And I feel like when I see that film, they did a great job at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I saw the film in 99 or at least around 99. I remember watching it on, on, I believe it was on DVD. And I remember being very um, taken with these, with these characters. Like they're, they are so large, they're larger than life and they're fascinating people to watch. Um, and I, 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 I remember quite enjoying the film back then. And this isn't to say that I didn't enjoy it when I watched it yesterday, but it does feel um, it's complicated to me a little bit. I, I, I'm not sure that 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 the per, that the way that they um, necessarily um, I don't know what the what the best way to put it is, but I, I'm not sure that they're being necessarily critical of this lifestyle. It, it feels a little bit um, at times as though. Uh, they, I don't know. I mean, do you, I guess this is more of a question for you, Kirk, in terms of how you sort of perceive from the documentary perspective, do you feel like they really got to the sort of heart of this world and what, what motivates these people to do this? I mean, I, that's I, I, I feel like at the time that the film was made, yeah. in terms of where we are now, consciously yeah. that's if you want to go into terms of just sex yeah. trade if you want to go into different layers of things that you could point at you know i felt like what they mm -hmm. wanted to accomplish was to make you understand this is just me looking at it once again i gotta give you the disclaimer this is just yeah, course, my course, perspective yeah. so when i watch it you got to remember there are young filmmakers at that time so yeah. you're influenced as well by your surroundings. You're 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 in the process of taking it in. So consciously, you may not even be open or aware to different layers because you're learning it. And so maybe they were inspired by what they saw to tell that story. You know, if if you ask them now, as grown man, you know their perspective on certain things may change, and right. in, in what stories they may want to tell. You know, they may want to tell from a one in a, a woman perspective that may have started somewhere and got to where she is, and then maybe on the road of recovery. You know, so that you can't. That's one thing about like filmmaking or or definitely documentaries where it's a living, breathing subject matter. You know, your perspective is going to change as you mature as well. We we talked about this. So we did Mr. Death, uh, Errol Morris movie, um, pretty recently, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about a lot the you know the responsibility of the documentarian and um, intent and all those things. And what I what what I felt with American Pimp uh, at least was it was uh, non judgmental and allowed the 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 subjects to tell their own stories in the way they wanted to tell them. Um, for me, at least, that was 
uh, a very responsible way in. Not that you know part of the part of the point of the conversation was you don't have to be responsible. That's not that's not necess- yeah. a, ne- a necessary aspect to documentary documentary filmmaking. But it felt like it was a responsible way into this um, into this world that gave me a good understanding of what was going on without judging positive or negative. Uh, I do think that there was some shade thrown at the idea that it's illegal, which is fair. Um, I think that 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 perspective was given voice by uh, a bunch of people in this in this film, and I think you know, twenty two years later, I, I think that's a far more widely held viewpoint than it was twenty two years ago. Um, so that's a little forward thinking in that respect. But in in general, yeah, in the beginning of the film, I did have that twinge of this is all from the pimp's perspective and that is a little disquieting at the end i I do really feel like it doesn't matter that much i feel like that was the the perspective we were getting and uh i i i appreciated it because it's what what's what's critically important at the end of this film is just how differently it all worked out for all these different guys one winds up in jail. One's still doing it in his seventies. One's working in an office. One, uh, one's taking his daughter to the park. Um, it's, it's, it contains multitudes like anything else. And I think the characterization of the pimp in um, American pop culture for the last thirty years, particularly the black pimp, has been incredibly cartoonish and almost embarrassingly cartoonish. And I think this is like that's why I kind of phrase the question at the beginning about educating i think it's important to to tear down that you know that wall and, and at least humanize these guys in the beginning and then we could start to understand and debate the merits of what's happening here and you know the different sides of the story pimp has been here long before you and i and pimp would be here long after you and i are gone that's just you know it's a sad fact but it's the truth you know mm-hmm. i mean it's you you feeding people's vices and that's what they do so as long as that becomes someone's vice and someone's desired and they have the ability to actually get it and they pay for it they'll find a way to do it and there will also be someone there that also finds a way to actually make money off it it's just the way in the world we live in you know what i mean as much as we want to have this shit perfect you know this is just a fucked up cycle for what it is because you do have people out there broken you know when mm-hmm. you really look sure. at the core of it you're dealing with a lot of broken people from the pimp all the way down to the woman itself that's out there you know so it's, it's deeper than just the culture itself and 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 what it looks like because look at the guy that had that little bunny ranch white dude right ain't a black dude he's pimping he's pimping them hoes too you know mm-hmm. so pimping don't really have no color you know so I mean, trust and believe, this is everywhere. I mean, there's an underworld for different culture when it comes to the sex trade. And, you know, yeah, we got to put a stop on it. Yeah, we shouldn't glorify it. You know, when, like I said, when you look at those films, definitely like the Mac, that's that's the 70s. You know, and at that time, drug, it wasn't about the drug dealing that were glorified. It was the pimps that were glorified. You know, so it, those were the things that you saw in the films in the 70s. It wasn't to the 80s that you saw the drugs and the 90s that you saw films that were based around that and less about pimping because it wasn't about that anymore. That income became something that was so small. 
you know, so you, you, you're now dealing with the vulnerability of, of having a woman that could run her mouth and now you arrested and you're looking at X amount of time for that when you could actually sell this product right here and make more money and not to worry about no one. So the game changed. It's mm-hmm. a lot that happened in the culture of the underworld when it comes to that, but trust and believe that shit still exists. You know, it's just different now. I still see them walking up and down the street sometime in D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, but it wasn't like it was in the 80s. It wasn't, it's not as prevalent that it was seen, but it's now, is the dark web now is called. So it's just, there's just a different form now, you know, and it's more traceable now if you ask me. So eventually everybody get caught. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, I just want to give a, a really quick synopsis just for the people that might not have seen this film. It's a little tough to see this film right now, which is interesting. I'm not sure why it's uh, it's not released in really any way. It's odd, but it is what it is. Uh, because, the Hughes Brothers it, home this. It's sex trade. It's a sex <laughs> trade. I mean, seriously, if you really, I mean, you glorifying sex trade. And in right. these days and times, you can't, you can't, you can't have that out there. Mm-hmm. You just can't. Regardless that it, regardless that you're telling someone's life and their journey, when you really look at the responsibility of what you do as a filmmaker, what are you really putting out there? You know, so like I said, when you look at that film at that time, you know, it was acceptable. But now that won't be acceptable. That's fair. Um, let me just very quick, quickly, the synopsis is the Hughes brothers helmed this documentary about the state of prostitution in urban sectors of the U.S., producing an ostentatious, profanity-laden celebration of the ghetto subculture of pimping. This film combines images of fictional pimps from film and television with candid interviews with infamous real-life street hustlers from San Francisco's bluesman turned pimp Clarence Fillmore Slim Slims to Chicago's pimp turned minister Don Magic Wan. American Pimp was screened at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 99. It would screen at various film festivals into 2000 and would eventually get a theatrical release on June 11th, 2000. It would ultimately make $218,000 on a $650,000 budget. Uh, It has 52% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 72% from audiences. Read two quick little uh, snippets of reviews from Variety. A disappointing documentary debut from the gifted Hughes brothers, a soft, uncritical exploration of pimps that ignores issues of race, misogyny, and violence. Helmer seemed carried away by the exotic lifestyle of this morally dubious profession. And Entertainment Weekly said American Pimp is a supple and engrossing, liquid, smooth, street rap testimonial. Still does the film... Still, does the movie showcase the survivors of the urban underworld as they actually are, or are we just staring into their masks? The answer, I think, is both at once, and that's part of the film's intrigue. The Hughes brothers slightly undercut the image of the pimp as Superman, even as they pay tribute to its continuing power as an African-American cultural myth. Um, I would agree more with the Entertainment Weekly review probably than the Variety review, but um, it, it is interesting to see that critics were pretty hard on this movie, which I was a little surprised about but i don't know what you guys thought surprise why going back to who's who's the the critics going back to who's watching it you know going back to when they made that film who was their audience right you know you have an audience of people that like like you said bishop don juan i mean most people knew him from being around snoop Mm -hmm. and wearing a green suit and things like that but some people were introduced to him by seeing him in that dot. Like I saw him in the dot before I saw him with Snoop. You know, so 
going back to that whole aspect of when things are made, who do you make it for? You know, so well, I, for them, they, for them, they probably could care less what the critics thought, but probably heard oh, more yeah. reviews of them being in a community and people like, man, that's the best doc I've seen in so long, man. You hit that on the point. You told the story. You kept it real. And that to them was probably a praise that they really cared about more than people that don't understand the culture, you know, because if you don't understand, you don't understand. Sometimes you got, if you haven't lived it, you can't really experience it. Right. That's a really kind of interesting point kind of a, a point that I think is, 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 it's an undercurrent of what's happening in culture now, culture uh, at large of who, not, not only who is making it, but who they're making it for. Like you just said, I, I do wonder, you know, I sometimes on this podcast rail against the idea of making art films just for other artists, right? Um, things just for your insular community of filmmakers or whatever, and how a lot of people out here feel like, well, it doesn't matter what the masses say. What matters is that, you know, these 40 other filmmaking friends of, uh, that I have like it. And I think that uh, I'm not into that, basically. I'm not, I don't think that that, I, that is, is not really, to me, the point of art that gets, get, that gets exhibited widely. That's different from what you're saying to me. Mm-hmm. Making something for a culture that is often underserved and even more often presented through a white lens uh, is an important aspect. However, it doesn't change the fact that these films do get exhibited widely and are going to be, you know, um, engaged with by an audience outside of the culture that the, the film is made for. So I, I, I don't even know. It's more of a discussion than a question because it's not, and it's not a matter of judgment or good or bad, but I do wonder how, first of all, you as a documentarian, if you take that into account when you're making your films, because your films largely focus on black culture in America, right? Yes. Some of it. Yeah. You can say that. And uh, if that, how that informs the way you're making the documentary and how you deal with, you know, critics from outside of your culture um, discussing it, even us. I mean, even right. even even us on this podcast. I mean, what what's that discussion like? I I would go back to even like my first film and 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 cover everything that we just talked about in terms of this film. The first film that I did um, as a documentary was the life of Rafael Edmond. Right, culturally, it's about about this guy that's a, a kingpin in Washington D.C right? Made so much money at the time that I'm, I'm a teenager. So I'm hearing the names that circulating. Mm-hmm. So it becomes that, that thought as a filmmaker later on on the road, that this is a story I want to tell, but the process of telling that story, would it be my first dot? No different than that being the Hughes brothers first dot. I was really focused about serving the community of people that I knew, right? And telling that story that hasn't been told before. So I wasn't really thinking about outside of D.C. technically. It wasn't until when we independently released the film, it actually, the subject matter was such a, a, a subject matter that people wanted to know about that it automatically, organically spread, right? So mm-hmm. it spread outside D.C., it started getting bootleg, things like that. And then that turnaround sparked and 
birthed the American Gangster for BET, right? So understand that when I went at creating something, I didn't go at it with the intentions of it being what it became. I went at it with just letting the story being told to the people that were in my community that just knew it. So when you apply that to being a filmmaker, that's a young filmmaker. You know, when you are in the game longer, you start to understand the power of what you do in terms of making documentaries and making films. It changes your perspective on the stories that you start to tell and or how you tell those particular stories. Right. So once again, I don't know with them, but maybe the film was something that was independent with 200 and something thousand and or 600,000, whatever the budget was. And they independently made the film based on the fact that every studio said no, they weren't interested or maybe from that perspective, because they didn't feel like there was an audience for it. Right. But once again, they went out there, made it and showed that there was an audience to the point that we're at this point talking about the film, some 30, somewhat, what are we? 27 years. Yeah. Yeah. 22 years later, we're talking about something that they put out that, you know, they probably were heard a lot of no's on. So I, I get it, you know, but I mean, these are things that as a filmmaker, when you go out and do something, everything really, like I say, go back to where you are in life and the maturity level of where you are as a filmmaker. Because for those that came before us that open the doors and, and we get um, guidance for mentorships from, we technically still have to learn it. You know, someone could tell you something a million times and you hear it, but it's not until you really experience it that you really understand it. So maybe they heard from a lot of advisors, not it's not a good look, maybe not a good look on your career, X, Y, Z, but maybe to them, it's like, it's a culture of people. I know that. I know this will rock for. And I'm not concerned about the ratings. I'm not concerned about what the reviews will say. I know what these people that I'm making this for will say. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been on that path before. Yeah. I mean, you know? I, I think that it's, I, I certainly wasn't trying to, uh, you know, be critical of the film necessarily. I, I, I thought it was a very powerful movie and I, and I, and, you know, by the end of it, I, I really did feel like they, exp- I mean, just even thinking about putting all these people on camera and just sort of the, it, it did feel like they were giving us a perspective that, we weren't supposed to necessarily have, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it felt very, I don't want to say it felt dangerous necessarily, but well, it, it was dangerous. Feel- I love that about it. Okay. So okay. I, that's, yeah, <laughs> okay. I love that. That's, that's my favorite aspect about it because you, you, you have all these guys who are engaging in illegal activity, yeah. you know, and, and uh, totally down to tell their story on camera. That's yeah. like, that's thrilling. And I assume I, I assume that like we ha- I, I, I I've never seen that before. I, I assume that but, that's never been a thing. But that came with a value. That came with a, a lot of trust. Yes. You know. So, but that goes back once again. That goes back to you being embraced by the community, and then when you embrace by the community, there's a sense of trust. So when that's when that trust is open, you're not going to go out there and, and mess it up by doing the opposite. So, you know, they those guys were open to him because they knew that at the end of the day that, you know, they they didn't deal with a crew. 
You know, mm-hmm. like I say, I don't think it was 50 people that showed up and they had cameras. I think it was the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of yeah. just breaks down the wall of how open you're going to be with someone, you know, and, and talking as well. So, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I would hope that at the time that this was recorded, when they did it, those guys weren't doing it because, yeah, you incriminating yourself in some in which ways, you know. But, right. I mean, from one, I mean, one of the guys was in jail at the end, you yep. know, and he was talking about, you know, his life decisions, things that he's made. But, like I said, man, eventually you're going to get caught. Yeah. Eventually yeah. you're going to get caught. I thought that guy was gorgeous, Dre. I felt that felt his story was really powerful. He kind of at the end he he had the point about if it wasn't for Pimpin and Hoe and I wouldn't even be here, right? Like this to your point, the point the film makes this to the to the cliche the the world's second oldest profession or the oldest profession, the second oldest is motherhood. The oldest is prostitution. <laughs> so yeah, before was yeah. that. I mean, going back to the culture, Richard Pryor, a product of it. Mm-hmm. It's a product, a product of it. And then it's like it goes. I mean, we really there that variety review kind of bothered me because they say they don't talk about race. I don't even understand that. That I don't even understand the logic of that because one, they don't have to, but two the juxtaposition between them and the guy that runs the bunny ranch is talking about race like explicitly yep. it's explicitly talking about the you know the, the the two sets of rules and that goes back years and years and years and years and years to the point where now you know the bunny ranch is this, is this cute place you go uh outside of vegas with at a frat party and uh pimp on a street corner like fillmore slim is persona non grata um to so many people. So it's yes, that but but I, I do think the the racial aspect of this is inc- in, like incredibly relevant and just an incredibly relevant, you know, story in terms of uh all the people that were born out of this. All the people that were that have been exploited but exploited where they cuz they have nowhere to go. I mean, it was pretty Clear. It was pretty interesting how uh, at least half, if not more, of the hoes were white. Yeah. Um, how this job has kind of been sanctioned, like pimping has kind of been been sanctioned a little bit, but not all the way. You know, kind of like drug dealing has been sanctioned a little bit, but not all the way. So it's been sanctioned it's in other just, cultures. It, it comes with the culture. Some things, some things are accepted based on it being a part of the culture. You may not agree with it. You know, it's like it's like you got a drunk uncle. You know, you love mm-hmm. him. You know, but you know he fucked up. So I mean, you could right. look at it from that perspective as well. Where I mean, you, you turn your face to it, but at the same time, someone's still being hurt at the other end. You know, and that and that's the woman that's out there at the same time. Or, or she's she's a mother, she's a sister. You know, there's family that's actually destroyed behind all of this at the same time as well. So it is a domino effect in the community. But there's always a door that you see it. And at the end of the day, it's about money. And people do things because of that. You know, mm-hmm. those girls are broken. And then they find someone that finds... I don't want to say they find someone, but they're preyed upon. Best way to look at it. And it's 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's it's a it's a it's this goes far beyond right. This goes far beyond the the parameters of American pimp. This goes far beyond that right. This is you know what's interesting is there were there were a lot of a lot of these guys are living in Hollywood, living in L.A. and a lot of the mothers seem to send their children there to go be stars this is uh not just about african-american culture this is about hollywood culture the culture of america the culture of celebrity exploitation of women um power dynamics this is you know this is just another version maybe even a less bad version than the harvey weinstein's of the world this is you know just another version of the casting couch uh i've been listening to the uh the podcast on um so the woman who was in Star 80, Deborah Strassen, I think, mm-hmm. um, who was murdered by who was murdered by her boyfriend slash pimp. She came out from Arizona. She was in Playboy and she was murdered. This is an old story of exploitation. It's just what's critical about American Pimp is uh, the way black pimps have been demonized forever and ever or infantilized, right? Or character or 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 you know turned turned into cartoons like Huggy Bear, right? So yeah, I mean they 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 talk about that um in the film a little bit, you know, about modeling agencies and and how is that any different than than the situation that they're in. And and you're completely right, Kenny. I mean, this is it, it the the commodification of this sort of power dynamic is as old as time, right? I mean, and and it's, and it's it's not going anywhere unfortunately. Um and 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 I do think that uh that's probably another reason why this film is not widely available. Like I, I, I can't help but feel like this film is, uh, it feels like it's, you know, um, going at topics that people just don't want to talk about. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you, what are you saying exactly? So I completely understand. You feel like the film is not being perceived correctly or you felt like the film is not relevant what do you what are you saying no in no terms no of i think today? i think it is very relevant i okay. i would i i think that the film is is i think part of the reason that it's perhaps one of the reasons why this film is not widely available i think is because it's going at things that people are scared of or don't want talked about i think it's i think it's as we talked about earlier i think that there's an element of, of danger to it and that it's going at at sacred lambs that people don't want to talk about um, and I think that that's, I mean, I think that to, to, to Kenny's point, 
this idea of sort of the commodification of this type of relationship, or, or I would say to some degree, men's power over women to some degree, uh, is, is in many, many industries. And yeah. the film is showing that. I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, don't I mean, once again, is it, it shows you a lifestyle that's ugly, man. It's the best yeah, way. Yeah. It, show, it shows you something that's real. It shows you stuff that exists. And it's either you want to turn your, turn and not look at it or face it for what it is. And then what you had Absolutely. on there were people that were completely honest, that broke down the lifestyle, broke down why they yeah. did it. And they told you how just business works. And they use different examples to make you understand that there is a sense of prejudice even in that industry of pimping hoes. You know, going back to Bunny Ranch, you know, this guy has a building and you go there and get the same service. But if that was, you know, an African-American man, would it be viewed the same? You know, we don't know. But when you look at them on the streets, it ain't viewed the same. It isn't. So, I mean, I guess when you look at the word pimp, you look at someone that controls a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's the first thing that comes to your mind. Mind control. You know, anyone could control a, a woman's body but any could you control them a woman's mind that's the whole same for a pimp right so um having a facility like the bunny ranch i mean they free to come and go i guess right so it's no longer the the mind of a of a man but pimping now is so different because females pimping themselves like i said you know we it's a different world now when it comes to that pimping mentality. That that aspect of walking the street is so old in terms of how yeah. things are done now, right? So now behind the scenes are different jacks or different trades, you know? So some behind some of this shit is actually police officers, to be honest with you, for shit that I've heard and, and seen as well, where there's a sense of protection that some of these girls actually feel, knowing that this person is a cop. You know, so you hear about shit like that anyway. Some things like that are revealed. Some things just aren't. But there have been scenarios where prostitution have actually had police involved. So, you know, the same shit they hear to protect us. You know, people corrupt, man. Going back to what I said in the beginning. Yeah. You know, this is, this, is, this is a world that's, you're going to deal with that. You're going to deal with different energy and different people have different things and different desires and things that they value more than some things that they don't. And for some, based on their outlook on a woman, they see a woman extremely less valuable, you know, <coughs> and the money's more valuable. And what she could bring is more valuable than her life of actually putting her in danger. But that takes a different type of mindset of a person. It. Of course it does. Yeah. Not everyone becomes a pimp, yeah. but like, it, you know, I uh, can't help, but ra can't help it, but also think like it probably looked pretty fucking good. You know what I mean? It probably looks pretty lucrative to be a pimp when they're making, they're talking about making $8,000 a night. Maybe in the eighties. And that's maybe, what I'm talking I mean, about. Yeah. Maybe the seventies. Yeah. I mean, now, it's just pimping is so different because the internet has changed that world and even how they right. function. You know, you could look at certain websites that they shut down, like uh, Backpage or, or or those other things that you could go to and, it, and, and the service is right there for you to call up. You know, just like Vegas, they got the little books mm -hmm. and walk down the street. There's a book, a goddamn fucking um, newspaper stand right there for you to pick up. 
So mm-hmm. when you look at all that, the, the world has changed and even how that's actually been viewed. But once you now involve kids, now once you involve restraining someone and, and telling someone, you know, you're going to do this, then that changes, you know, because I, I, I can tell you now, however you want to look at it, if a woman is dating a guy and, 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 and she want a meal out of it and she fuck for a meal, she still basically says she, she sold a pussy for, for a meal. Well, that, however that's, you want to look at it. Yeah, well, so that's prostitution could be viewed on different perspective. However, you want to look at it. You know, sure. we're talking about pimping. That's different. You there's know, a but, massive scale. I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. That there's like a, a a massive range of what has been set up as acceptable by this culture, uh, and, and unacceptable. And it's not really clear where it is. It's interesting when you're talking about how the the bunnies in the bunny ranch can go when they want, but like. Maybe they can't. I know that they can. I know that they 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 have you know free will, but but maybe they can't. You know, maybe that's that's you know that's the only way. And I think that uh, the undercurrent of all this stuff and the undercurrent of everything in the underworld, everything that you ever talk about, uh, under like like underworld crime, organized crime, is, is financial security, which is just like the the most important thing in American life. It's right. financial security. It's the thing that keeps you mentally well. It's a thing that keeps you psychologically well. It's a thing that puts food on your kids' plates. It's the thing that keeps you out of jail. It's like so when financial security is presented as you can have it by doing these, you know, illegal slash immoral things, or you can't have it. I do think that there is some inherent manipulation that not not the, the pimps are the ones doing that. Society's the one doing that, right? So that I, I think that to me, this is such an important movie because it's important to demystify and analyze the people who are doing this uh, from more socially impoverished backgrounds and understand the motivations of what's going on in that and how they relate to society as a whole. So even if this wasn't necessarily meant, and I don't think it was, but even if it wasn't meant for uh, audiences at large, it was made with such craft, care, and non-judgment that anyone who sees it should at least start having some thoughts in their head about the way it relates to society uh, at large. Yeah, I mean, there there are reasons. There are some movies that are pulled and some movies that aren't available for different reasons. Right, that I've come across, like you said, I I couldn't find that film in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, until when I watched it recently, that's like the first time I seen it in such a long time. You know, because I thought like, wow, you know, but it took me back to just that culture of understanding it. You know, took me back to me just looking out, being downtown and seeing it. So it's it's, it's like a time warp at the same time. But at the end of the day, when you look at the core of what the story was all about. About prostitution as well, and that still mm-hmm. that still goes on, you know. And it's a manipulation, and is you know, it's everything that goes against what society really stands for, to really get at it. And that film just gave you a glimpse of that world because there's so many layers to it. Like, imagine a woman being arrested, going to jail, being processed, and then being released right back out that same night. Right. And that happens over and over. Eventually she's faced a judge. Eventually she goes to jail. That's another story all within itself of just what will make a woman actually go through all of this and still end up in certain places as well. 
So, I mean, it's, it's just different layers to this shit, man. It's like pimping is a big business. Yeah. And it happens every yeah. day. There's different forms of pimping, you know? Different forms. Yeah. I mean, what you guys, would, what you guys, okay, let me ask you a question. You guys said you guys saw the film when it first came out, right? I didn't. I saw it for the first time this week. Really? Yeah, I saw it back in '99. Yes, yeah. I saw it for the first how, time this week. How did you hear about it? Oh, I've always known about it. I okay. mean, I've always known it exists because, you know, I love the Hughes brothers, uh, particularly, you know, like their early, their first two films I love. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, you know, it has a real fucking ear catching title, right? American pimp. <laughs> you never forget that. But, uh, but I never watched it. I never, I've never seen it. See, because probably the reason why you haven't watched it or saw it before is not because of the title. It's just that it wasn't culturally something that you were even interested in at that point. You get what well, I'm saying? Well, there's a, it- there's a good, there's a, a another kind of point you're making, which I think is interesting too, right? Like that, I don't think that was it for me because I, you know, I've, I've, I've engaged a lot of culture, a lot of entertainment that was, you know, kind of specific for the black community. It's the other thing that's a little more uncomfortable when I'm looking into myself as to why I've spent so much time, you know, engaging with black culture uh, in a way that is, you know, voyeuristic and like a tourist. So I, I, I definitely did it not for just for, for me, I did not watch it because it wasn't like appropriate. Like I feel like people throughout my life would have, you know, absolutely sat down and watched the movie. Um, but I also think that there's always been an exoticism associated with black culture in America particularly among young white people, that uh, is, is something that people, white people, um, aren't even comfortable engaging with. Um, now, I've, I've said this on the show a lot. I write on a show with a predominantly black cast right now. And uh, one of the black writers on my show had a criticism of another writer, and I won't say anything more about that. But the point was this person loves black culture, but not black people. And, and you can't I, write no black culture then. How the fuck you gonna write black culture but don't understand? But don't me? No, no, nah, nah, not you. Just what you just said. Like the you shouldn't. Is, you shouldn't. Is, You're a hundred percent right. Yes. That right. That right there is someone is is falling asleep at the wheel, right? Because that's a sense of responsibility. Like it's like actually like come on, that's oxymoron. I don't need to have someone write for something that don't like that don't like it. Like you, you're gonna do I, no justice by it. We're gonna still it's have that horrible. Yeah, we're gonna still and have you that know, and, and it's yes, and you know what? It's uh, Aaron Sean Thompson was on, or Thomas was on our podcast and created SWAT, and he's Phil's friend, and he said, uh, "Black people, write, white people, I think you know, not unilaterally, but a lot of white people writing black." culture writing stuff you're writing shows set within black culture is just another example of blackface and when you say amos and andy shit that's what you're saying too right mm-hmm. i'm like listen I, what did he, did he did he ever say or she ever say why they don't like black people that's an interesting thing this was this was no this was a uh, so i i i hope i didn't mischaracter mischaracterize it the a black writer on our show said this about a white a white writer the white writer didn't say she didn't like black people yeah. But it was 
you know, it, it was kind of apparent from years and years and years on the show yeah. uh, that if you don't, my sense at least is, if you don't engage with these characters as black people in black culture and just presume that they're, you know, raceless, essentially, you are, you know, you're, start, you're starting from a place where the whole show better reflect a, a raceless society. You, ha- you have to create a Bridgerton-esque simulacrum where race is not a construct. But short of that, you know, life's different. So, yes, yeah. no, no one ever came out and said, I don't like black people. No, 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 no. I, 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 I get that. It's just if 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 you don't understand it, don't write it. You know, it's like it's taking on a project. You become responsible for what you paint. You become responsible for what the images that you're putting out there. So don't take shit for a check. You know, don't shortchange the the creative process or or the story for a check because you mm-hmm. you're not giving yourself justice as well. You know, and then you become labeled as being someone that really doesn't even understand the culture, but just circled around the fucking culture, you know? So, you know, I mean, I, I get it, you know, hey, you, you you saw it and you know exactly what it is. So at that point, you are in position to vocally express how you feel about it and to keep it going, you know? But whoever's in charge, hopefully will see that and address it, you know, for how they see fit, but hopefully it's done in the right way. Because you can do things tastefully, you know? Like, yeah. if a person doesn't get it, like, take them there. I remember one time I had a pitch meeting, and it was a project, and I basically asked the person, I said, have you ever went to Compton before? And they said, no. I said, then fuck it. How are you going to do a project about a community and you've never been there before? So I took that pitch meeting in the car and we drove through Compton and I walked through the streets. Like, I'm not even from Compton, but I know at the same time, you could just go in a community. It all depends on how you present yourself, right? Because, I mean, the commonality is that we're black, right? So I know I'm, I would know how to deal with my kind, if that makes any sense, you know, in a community that I'm entering into that I know I'm not from. Right. So, I mean, I went to the school, took her there. We went into the school. A game was going on. Like she experienced it from a perspective of understanding a little bit more. And that was like four hours. But that was like one of the best pitch meeting that she ever had based on the fact that it left the office and it went into the street. So you can understand exactly the project that you're going to do, you know, and I feel like if you're a writer and you're doing a project on anything, take that person to that environment. You know, that's what the Hughes brothers did when you look at American Pimp. And out of for you to understand, we're going to take you to the pimp. We're going to take you into their world. They're going to tell you about it. You know, it's a difference of them coming into your world and telling you. But if you are a bug on a wall, and that's truly what that film was. You know, going back to the film, it was, they were a bug on it. We were a bug on a wall mm-hmm. observing. And we didn't like the shit that we saw based on the fact that you see people being harmed in some of which ways, but at the same time, you couldn't stop looking at the shit because you want to see what's going to happen next. And as we get closer to the end, I love what they did. They told you, look, this guy went to jail, just such and such, just such and such. You know, I lost everything. You know, I went into it with a bankroll and I came out with nothing. So, listen, man, when you do wrong at the end of the day, don't last long. I keep on going back to that because that's just my motto when it comes to the facts of life. 
you know, they say karma's a bitch, but that shit doesn't, that sh- she comes quick. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you Absolutely. do, and, and just something different about energy now in the world and how we feel and how we're vibing, you know, you could see it that even we're going back to um, George Floyd, you saw so many people come out and protest. Like, we're in a place of healing right now. Like, the world is mm-hmm. going to do something different that a film like that can't survive now at all. That's my opinion. But it you know, should. It should, because I think you're I, I mean, I think you really just made the made the point uh, about why it should with, you know, first of all, the story about you taking the exec to Compton is incredible and big hearted. Right. That's a really big hearted thing to do that. I'm not necessarily sure that uh, that executive deserved such a such such yeah. big heartedness but it's it's really it's really wonderful that you did that and i do think that's actually what the hughes brothers were doing here uh whether they intended to or not i do think that there was some intent to that but whether they intended to or not like you can't there's there's been so much demonization of black culture and the pimp has been held up Pimp and the welfare queen has been held up by so many people as the as the hallmark example of where black people have gone wrong in this country. And it's based on virtually nothing. It's based on Ronald Reagan and Lee Atwater yelling about it. Uh, it's very important, I think, to at the very least allow black people to tell their own stories. And then you I can mean, start having a conversation. I feel like we're doing that now. And I feel like we... It's- I mean, we're doing it now, and uh, I would say that now than before because the accessibility now is there for people to tell their story, you know? And, yeah, there's different forms of – some people may not even be filmmakers. They just have a camera, and they want to go out and shoot, and they feel like this is the way how they tell the story. But, of course, you and I understand there's fundamental ways of structures and things like that, and eventually that just comes with education. You know, eventually that comes with time, and – you know, with YouTube University and all the things that's going on now with just younger generation of kids coming up and learning how to make films. Because when we first started Guarantee, I mean, if you wasn't editing on Avid, it wasn't considered a movie. If you weren't shooting on 35 or, or damn near Super 16, no one was interested in looking at it, right? So we've came a long way in terms of how we even accept media, right? So now you have so many different filmmakers that are popping up that are really actually raising the bar and telling our stories at the same time. And I see that and I commend that, you know, so the world's changing and, you know, people are starting to see different cultures more than anything. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I know you need to, you need to run Kirk. So I wanted to, yeah. we do a, a rating system on, uh, on this podcast where we okay. rate films from zero to 99 <laughs> Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear where from you would what, put this from film. one to 99. Yeah. That's a big range. That's the big range. Like, damn. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Okay. We, we want to make it as hard for you as so, possible. That's so, so, so where do I rate the, the, this film? Yeah. Right? So, but we do, we, we do it when you saw it first in 99. Yeah. Before the podcast. And then after the podcast, just so three ratings. Okay. Well, I can't. I I think when I saw the film the first time, I I would probably 
mindset of where I was at too. Like, you know, this sure. is 99. I mean, I'm a wild dude in 99. So, <laughs> you know, it's not that I was consciously where I'm at now and just being an adult. But back then, 99, I'm, I'm, I'm in college, you know, and hip hop and pimping and all that shit was going on. Like, I mean, listen, if I didn't have to get on this call in two minutes, I got a, a pimping story as well in terms of, yeah. You know, you leave us hanging like that. You're gonna say that. Shit, shit that I never told before. But we got to bring you back. Then we'll figure it out. So at that time, I think it it was one of those type of films that you know it was a documentary. It was a different form as well. Wasn't a movie for us. So Mm -hmm. we saw it and we took it like the news. So the perspective Mm -hmm. of it was more like this is shit's accurate. You know, this is what's really going on no different than other documentaries at the time of drug dealing and things like that. So there was a sense of similar familiarity of seeing it, seeing it. Okay. Now I understand it. So I gave it a higher rate of back then. And now looking at it as a filmmaker and in a mature person, I would love to have seen different dynamics of it. Right. But that's me looking at it now and seeing it now from that perspective. But um, I would probably give it, uh, 85 and 99 and yeah. I probably at this point will um, I gotta be fair I'll probably give it a, a 75 I wouldn't drop okay. it down that right. more I would just say you no know, one's ever yeah everyone on this podcast now. comes on and they're all babies and they're giving their films 99s and shit yeah. so good for you <laughs> no, I, was I got i gotta jump on the zoom shit yeah. real quick for another call man look i really appreciate this man i i, I love the vibe i love the energy i love to come back talk some more shit you know but we I would love have, to have I, you i do have a story that when we when we get back on that pimp shit i do have a story to tell you i just didn't get a chance to go around because we was really on some moral compass shit at this moment but <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot there's a whole lot of shit that i can tell you that i've experienced that i've seen that i dealt with you know but it just wasn't in my card or in my soul no, we, for me we, to we'd do love that to, you know we'd love we'll, get you, we'll get you back We'll get the opportunity sure. presented itself. I was called daddy. I just couldn't go. Um, <laughs> All right. I got to get on this job, but let's do this again, though. Great to talk to you. Later, sure. All right. We'd All love right. to. All right. Thanks. So that was great. We uh, we lost Kirk, as, as mentioned, on the podcast. He had to go sell some show or something. Um, fantastic guest, obviously. But Phil and I wanted to. Amazing. But Phil and I wanted to also rate this um, as well. So. I'll go first uh, or second. Um, I never saw this before. Mm-hmm. Um, having seen it this time after the uh, after the after watching it, I gave it a seventy-seven, um, and mostly because I thought it started super strong, ended super strong, uh, and hammocked in the middle. Um, and uh, it did p- really pick up steam like the last half hour, but there was a vi- there was a lot of fat in the middle of this of this film that didn't make it the world's greatest watch. But seventy seven is reflective of what I think is, you know, what I thought was a, a a really strong documentary. I think after talking to Kirk, I'm going to go up, even though his grade wasn't quite this high. Um, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go up to an eighty two. Uh, I do think uh, there's a, there's a lot more here. Than I had realized, and um, 
And any movie that can kind of spur the conversation we had, which I thought was a really, really wonderful, enlightening, relevant conversation, deserves to be at least in the 80s. Phil, how about you? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I um I had a bit of a like roller coaster in terms of the ratings um with this film for me. I, I saw it in ninety nine. I as I mentioned up top in the episode, um I really enjoyed it in ninety nine or around ninety nine, whenever I saw it. But I also felt like I didn't I mean, I'm just not looking through the lens of a person I am now, right? Like I was I was 19 or 20 years old um, living in fucking Toronto suburbs. And I see this movie, which is completely outside any of my purview with these larger than life characters. And I was really kind of taken taken away with that. Then I watched the, the, the documentary again before our podcast. And I, similar to yourself, found myself sort of feeling like starts really strong ends really strong in the middle you start to wish there was a little bit more of a narrative like a little bit more of like a pov of a person that was pulling you through the whole thing that's not to say that we don't have a bunch of povs but i felt like in the middle i felt a little um unmoored i guess is maybe the best way to put Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. um and then we had this this fantastic conversation with kirk and and it, it made me go back up again like i think i'm probably in 99 i was probably in like the low 70s Similarly, I think I was probably around there before we talked about it. And then after this conversation, I think I'm probably around an 80 as well with you in the sense of like, not only did it open great conversations, but I felt like, you know, Kirk gave me a perspective I just didn't have, you know, and don't have. And that really changed the way that I saw the film. Um, So, I mean, I think that the the sort of the the most over the the, the thing that I took away the most from what uh, Kirk was saying was how... um, how realistic this film is. I know that's a kind of ridiculous thing to say about a documentary, but like not all documentaries are particularly realistic. Mm -hmm. And I think that this film, the access they got to these people really does put you in this world, like in a, in a, in a way that, that, you know, I certainly never have been before. So I, I I was really impressed with it. Cool. Uh, Um, Phil, what do we do next week? Well, we're doing everyone's favorite Universal Soldier movie. We're doing Universal Soldier Two. <laughs> there, there are there are uh, what five Universal Soldier movies? Yes. It's yes. really it, it's really got the I think the Mission Impossible trajectory right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. where the first the first one is like fine, sure, sure, and the second one is like a you know disaster, and then I've never seen three through fourteen, but our guest Tom Tom Lorenzo of the You're Missing Out podcast says. Like three, I mean three, four. Like he, they're masterpieces. Apparently, <laughs> he raves about them. Makes me want to watch them. Quite frankly, yeah. and you know, the director of three and four just put out a film this year that was really well regarded. Yep. Um, do you remember what that was? It's a small I don't uh, off the top of my head, but I'm gonna find out. It's a low budget film um, that was super well regarded. I'm sure I can find it. But Tom was um, Tom was an amazing guest. I'm he was. He's super awesome. excited to have him come back. He's going to come back for for some other films we have him, uh, and and just not not just a joy of a person, but just like totally the obviously the very opposite direction from what we just did with American Pimp. But like this guy has seen all of these movies. Do you know what I mean? Like he's seen all the films that I generally have not. And that's not Tom has seen every movie ever made. It's amazing. It's incredible. I am blown away by his, by his encyclopedic. I, I mean, he, he does the podcast with McTally and, and the two of them together. I am blown away by how, how much they know about yep. film history. Um, 
I don't know how they even get the time. They're, they're both like, at, you know, 29. <laughs> but I also but, think that I, I obviously I agree with what you're saying, but I also think that like Tom has a, a specific taste. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. anyone who follows him on Twitter knows that like he's a little bit of an iconoclast. He likes to, you know, he likes to stir the stir the pot from time to time. But like he also just he really loves movies that might not necessarily get the love they deserve. And I think that yeah. that's why I was excited to have him on for this not a particularly great movie, but I'm excited to have him on for future movies and to have his perspective. The movie, uh, the director is Peter Hyams. The movie was uh, Alone, and apparently it has just gotten, you know, it's just an incredible movie. Um, and you, you hear it when Tom talks about it, that this guy really, Peter Hyams, really seems to know what he's doing. Uh, meanwhile, whoever directed Universal Soldier 2 did not, but I liked it more than you guys. I like but a I good also, JCVD. <laughs> I had never seen the first one. You had seen American. I uh, watched sorry, the first one a couple right? of days before, which I thought was okay. a, a great movie. I mean, it's a, it a great movie. It's a it's a bad version of uh, you. Well, you seen you saw Universal Soldier one. I watched it before watching the second. Right, movie. right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it's a bad Terminator. It's a bad Predator. It's a bad. It's it's John Claude Van Damme, but it's it's <laughs> like, and I mean that the way you think, but it's yeah. you know. I didn't think Universal Soldier was that was the two was that bad guys. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll say this about much. the first one. I remember the first one being a big deal. Um, it's it's Roland Emmerich's first film. You know, big. You know, he obviously became quite the uh, a very successful filmmaker. Um, yeah, I guess I just I I don't know my JCVD is is what is really kind of what it comes mm-hmm. down to. So um, you know, but I'm I'm excited not, to watch not, Sudden Death. Not a bad you, blind spot. You talked about Sudden Death being. Oh, sudden death, sudden, death. <laughs> sudden death is great. Sudden death is ten. Yes, sudden, sudden death is fantastic. So uh, watch so sudden week, death. Yeah, next, Universal, watch sudden death and watch some Universal Soldier. It's and, so and cool we're doing Universal Soldier too. We don't give a shit. <laughs> that is, I, I agree. It is great that we're doing it, and we don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see y'all next week. Rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to our friends. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Like it's 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 